Jesus made each star in heaven. He created earth and sea. He's the keeper of all knowledge, what is past and what will be. Yet he offers his great wisdom, so you will not lose your way. Like a lamp, it glows every step it shows. You can know his will each day. Trust his word. Trust his word. All God's promises are true. Trust his word. When your pathway disappears, when your joy gives way to tears, when you're plagued by doubts and fears, trust his word. He is not a distant stranger. This is Bill Lytell, pastor of Gospel Baptist Church in Bonita Springs. I have a message that I'd like to share with you about how our extremities can be God's opportunities. How our extremities can be God's opportunities. I take this from Genesis chapter 16, uh, the whole chapter, as well as chapter 21, verses 8 through 21. Too many times people quit just before the victory. They quit on God just before He delivers them. They quit praying just before He answers their prayer. They quit working just before 
the blessing comes or the answer comes. You want to take the time to look in the Bible on the word patience or patience of the saints. Uh, patience is, it cannot be learned in a classroom. Patience cannot be uh, studied in a course. Patience comes from trouble. Tribulation worketh patience. Nobody wants to enroll in the course offered by God called How to Receive Patience. Nobody wants to. Nobody wants to get into that course. I'm included. I would never say, hey, Lord, you know, I'd like to learn patience. Why don't you give me a bunch of trouble? You'd be crazy. But God, against our will, praise Him, uh, will do things to help us. Just like a good father will do a lot of things against his child's will. But no one in the end is the best thing for them. The most difficult lesson I have learned as a Christian is to wait on God, to wait on Him. Now, boy, is that tough. I think history is lined with the failures who have jumped ahead of God and presumed upon Him. As pastor now here for uh, 40 years this year, I have seen case after case after case of people presuming upon God and jumping ahead of God, trying to justify their decision-making uh, through some sign or, or some change in something around them that they say, see, God may be for that, but they don't know. They're just, they're just kind of going on their own instinct. And, of course, they get in trouble on that. Our weaknesses are no hindrance to God in His work in our life. In fact, I may put it this way. It's our strengths that are the problem. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, a well, well-traveled passage says, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That was, that was uh, Jesus speaking to the Apostle Paul. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What's that tell you? When, in, when you're in your worst, of, worst extremities is when God's power is the strongest in your life. Therefore, I take pleasure, he says, in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Now, those words don't mean anything to you unless you go back and study those things that Paul went through. I mean, being beaten with rods and being scourged and being shipwrecked and being in danger of thieves and all the things that he went through, that's in, contained in those words. He said, I did it for Christ's sake. I did it for his cause. And then he concludes, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, Paul didn't learn that in college. You won't learn that in a Bible college. You'll not learn that reading a book. You're only going to get that as life progresses and God begins to deal with you as he dealt with Paul. Now, not everybody goes through the kinds of things Paul did go through. I mean, wow. But we all go through, every one of us go through some degree of testing, some degree of trouble tribulation, infirmity, call it what you want, in your life. And so I want to give you an account of a character in the Bible. Her name is Hagar. She's an Egyptian woman. She was uh, a handmaid of Sarah. Most of you know Sarah, Abraham, Sarah. Abraham, of course, Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, <clears throat> was given the promise of God that he would uh, build a great nation out of this man. Uh, he had no children. Uh, he was... He got up 86 years old, no kids. Uh, and I'm, let me read it. It's a long passage. I'll read it quickly for you. 
but I think it's going to make a lot of difference in the outcome of what I'm trying to say here. Now, Sarah, uh, Abraham's wife, bare him no children. She had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing, and I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened unto the voice of Sarah. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abraham to be his wife. And went in, and he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee, for I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had not conce- she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. Of course, uh, because of this presuming on God and jumping ahead of God, there's already contention between Abraham and his wife, Abraham and Hagar, already. And every time you jump ahead of God, it's not, the outcome's not going to be good. But Abraham said unto Sarah, Behold, thy hand, thy maid is in thy hand. That surprises me. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Now, I don't know what she did to her, but she evidently dealt so hard with Hagar. Hagar took off. Hagar's pregnant, I believe. And the angel of the Lord found her by the fountain of the water in the wilderness, by the fountain of the way of Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and thou shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of, uh, she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me, for he said, for she said, I have also here looked after him that seeth me. Wherefore the well was called Berlehoi, uh, behold, it was between Kadesh and Barrett. And Hagar bare Abraham a son, and Abraham called his son's name, which Hagar bare, Ishmael. It's interesting that uh, somehow or another the man was the one that named the children. And the angel tells her, you're going to name the child Ishmael, but it ended up being Abraham named the child Ishmael because God worked through that. And Abraham was fourscore or 86 years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abraham. Now take your Bibles, if you got your Bible electronically there, listening in. Verse 18 of chapter 21. Arise and lift up the lad and hold him in thine hand, for I will make of him a great nation. And God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness, became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. Sarah, again, she went back, had the child. Child was about 14 years old, began to mock, uh, you know, uh, Isaac, the young child, little child at that time. And so Sarah goes to Abraham and says, I want this maid out of here, and I want the bondservant's son out of here. And Abraham again says, whatever you want to do, go for it. 
and they, they, they cast this woman and her 14-year-old child, teenager, out into the wilderness. But God did not leave them alone and came to them and helped this woman named Hagar. Now, I think we can learn some things from Hagar. Uh, in fact, I think we can learn five specific lessons from Hagar. Lesson number one, beware of hasty decisions in high emotional conditions. We get that from 16.2, Genesis 16.2. Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing, I pray thee, go unto my maid. So we have Sarah saying, I can't have a child. I can't have a child. It's been years now. I'm not able to have a child. So I got this maid here. Uh, You marry her, and you can have a child from her, and she'll somehow or another, and I don't know how that thinking would go together, somehow her child is going to be my child. Didn't work out that way, did it? In fact, uh, her child, her child, that child was the one that Sarah says, "I want him out of here. I don't want him to be part of my child." After she had had a child, Isaac, I don't want him, I don't want him part of that or to be around. And so, uh, they were reading God's will to justify her actions. How often I see that people say, "Brother Bill, I think I'm going to move north because I have." Uh, a distant cousin, the son saved up there, or I have some grandchildren up saved, and I'm going to move north, and uh, maybe I can be an influence on them. About a year later, I get a call, and they'll say, oh, Brother Bill, this is a horrible move. My grandchildren really don't want any part of me now that now that I've come back. You know, the initial excitement of coming back, they say hi. Then I don't see them for six months at a time. They have their own lives. In fact, I have less influence in them uh, living back up here than I did when I lived in Florida, and they want to come visit me. Hey, man, you live in Florida. People want to come visit you. My suggestion to you grandparents is move to Florida. You'll see more of your grandchildren with a higher quality time with your grandchildren than you would if you lived up there and the grandchildren take you for granted because you're just down the street and maybe rarely see you, if at all. Here she, she, ha- she began to read God's will by the, by the, the things around, circumstances. She read the circumstances and said, well, uh, maybe you should have a child through this woman, Hagar. My brother, my sister in Christ, quit looking at circumstances and do the right thing what the Bible says. The Bible has the answer for every question in this life. God knew what he did, what he was doing when he wrote the book. And so we go to the Bible. Well, we, we look for what does the book say on this? How can I have good guidance? You go to you go to leadership, but people with some wisdom around you, your pastor, your assistant pastor, maybe a spiritual deacon, and you run it by them and, and take the advice of these older men in Christ that know the Word of God and be careful about making decisions in high emotional conditions. I've told widows through the years, they lose their husband. Of course, losing your husband would, after 40, 50 years would have to be one of the most traumatic things you could ever do ever happened to you, even more traumatic than losing a child. And so your husband dies or your wife dies, and, and immediately they want to make decision after decision. I want to sell the house. I want to move here, do this, do that. Stop. I'll tell them, look, at least allow one year to pass. Stay in the house you both lived in. Uh, leave, leave her clothes in your closet. That's fine. Don't move a bunch of stuff out. Don't go through and give to goodwill all her stuff. Leave it there for a year. Nothing's pressing you. There's no reason why you got to get rid of all that. 
And, and in a year from now, when you're out of your highly emotional condition, you're going to be able to make much better decisions. You're going to be able to make level-headed, non-emotional decisions. But she, this uh, Sarah was just too anxious to have a child. I think we need to be careful what we ask for. You know why? We may get it. We may get it. I have seen too many cases of, of, of parents will have birth a child that is very, very sick, maybe has some sort of uh, genetic disease or deficiency, and they will come to me and say, Preacher, preacher, please pray for our child, this baby, that this baby may live. The baby at that point is hanging in life and death. And I say, Folks, I'm not going to pray the child live because I don't know what God's will is. I'm only going to pray, God, may your will be done. But the parent says, no, preacher, no. I want the child to live. I want the child. We want this child. We don't care if he's, if he's crippled or we don't care if he has a mental deficiency. We just want this child. We're begging God night and day, save the child's life, save the child's life. I say, oh, my, be careful. Be careful what you pray for. You may get it. And then 25, 30 years later, talk to those people because God did answer their prayer. God did allow the child to live. And those same parents will come to me and say, Preacher, Preacher, we didn't know what we were praying for. We were so highly emotional, so highly charged about wanting this child to live, live, live. But this has been the biggest hardship that we've ever had in our lives. And in fact, our child uh, has not only been a real hardship because of possibly extreme retardation or other physical things, that even this child is going to outlive us, and we don't even know who's going to take care of this child. Once we die, the child may have to go to some nursing home. So hard things come. Be careful. Um, man, if God doesn't want something for you, I would just have to trust God enough to say he knows better than I know. What do you think? I mean, if, a child, if I birth a child and a child dies in a few days, I just have to, I should say what Job said. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, who am I? I'm not God. I don't know the future. I know very little at all. But I know a God that knows everything. I know a God that's all powerful. And if he takes a child in death, whether by auto accident or by some disease, or by, or by other, some other drowning. They just found a two-year-old in the lake here uh, recently. Uh, you just have to say, look, God gave, God took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Be careful when you're in a high emotional decision in a passionate moment that you don't ask God to, to do something that will cause you lifelong trouble and hardship and lasting results. Brother, people come to me and say, Brother Bill, my husband's sick, and I think he's at the point of death. Pray for him that he live. I don't do that. I won't do that. Don't ask me to pray that way. I'm going to say, God, may your will be done. Look, I don't even know what's going to happen three months from now. How in the world can I say, well, Lord, keep that guy alive no matter what? It may be a thorn in your eye if God lets that man live. So you just got to trust God. That's what it amounts to. Lesson number two I see from the life of Hagar is, God may want you to stay in a grievous situation. God may just want you to stay in it. Now, I know, we're all human. In verse 9 of chapter 16, it says, The angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, 
and submit thyself under her hands. This was not easy for her. She just ran away because her mistress was treating her so hard, so nasty. I don't know what it was specifically, but it was bad. Because for a woman in that day to be without a man, the risk factor that they had was unbelievable because it was a man's world run by men. There was no social security. There was no backup. There was very few police, if any. And so a woman being out in the wilderness by herself, think about it. That's crazy. But whatever Sarah was doing to her was so bad that she said, I'm out of here. Which told me that she's risked her life. Now, she also was pregnant. So she wasn't just vulnerable by being a single uh, unmarried woman out in the wilderness, but she was pregnant and she was going to have that baby. Who was going to take care of her? Where was she going to have it? Who was going to feed her? I mean, I don't know. Those questions we don't know, but she was she was messed up. She made a decision herself in a high emotional time. But God told her, look, I want you to return under the hands of your mistress. Go back to Sarah, submit to the abuse, accept it as from me. Whoa. Boy, those are some those are some words that rub the cat the wrong way, don't they? I mean, you don't hear that kind of advice today, do you? We're in a touchy-feely, cry-baby generation that the first little thing that comes along their way, they want to run. Oh, help me. I want to run. I got to get away from this. Brother, most of the time, God wants you to stay under the pain. Stay under the load. Here's the best part. With a good attitude. With a good attitude. Well, what did Peter say? For what glory is it when you buffet her for your faults, you take it patiently, but if when ye do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God, 1 Peter 2.20. 1 Peter 3.14 says, but if, ye, but, if, but and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, nor be troubled. 1 Peter 3.17 says, for it is better if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. So we learn the lesson there. The second lesson is God may want you to stay in a grievous situation. Number three, we can learn from Hagar. God is merciful to the undeserving and the unworthy. Genesis chapter 16, again, verse 10, says, The angel Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, and it shall not be numbered for multitude. And of him he's going to make a great nation. Now this was an Egyptian girl, a slave girl, no personal rights. Her background was probably idol-worshiping pagan. And here she's, I suppose, purchased by Abraham to help his wife in the house as a handmaid. And so she doesn't have any future, really, other than she's going to be a slave in this house. And look what God did for her. Look what God did for her. I mean, he says, uh, God took this obscure, lonely, misused slave girl and made her world-famous even to right now. Here I am in 2020 preaching about this obscure Egyptian handmaid named Hagar, who nobody would have ever known, nobody would have ever remembered she lived or died, had not she been willing to obey God. Had not she been willing to stay in a grievous situation and obey God. Uh, nobody would not, nobody would even know her because what happened was when you're willing to put yourself under what God has placed in your life that is causing you pain and causing you trouble and causing you suffering, God then gives you grace. He gives you mercy. 
Uh, and praise the Lord, when you get the grace of God, it's good. It's big. She was in rebellion. She was out from under authority. She was helpless, hapless, and hopeless. But God cared about Hagar. He cares about people's private hurts and times of weeping and crying. Let me say this to encourage you. God sees your pain. You're not out there, though it may appear this way, that you're by yourself and nobody cares, but it's not so. The lesson number four we learned, God works out his plan in your life through the most unpredictable means and methods. God works his plan out. He's working something out. Born again, Christian. Let me say this. Grab yourself, shake yourself, and say, there's a God in heaven, and he cares for me. He died for me, and the Father sent his only begotten Son because he loves me. And the Bible's true, and all the promises in the book are mine. And when you're getting in trouble, yeah, we cry. Nobody likes pain. Nobody welcomes it as a friend. But yet, God sends it to us as a friend. To give us something we can get no other way. Trust Him enough just to say, I accept this from the hand of God. And I'm going to get up every morning and thank Him for it. Wow. In verse 10 of chapter 21, it says, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. And the son of this bondwoman should not be heir with my son, even Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. Now think, I, I, I've, I've had a child, a boy. And I had a great time when he was a teenager. We had a great time. Some people went through rebellion with their children. I'm, my heart's broken for that. But Troy was not rebellious. He was, uh, he was a friend. He was, uh, uh, we, we worked together, we fished together, we dove together, we, we went door to door together, we did the bus ministry together, we, were to, we did things together and had a good attitude about it. And I enjoyed Troy's teenage years from 13 all the way to 18 or, uh, to not, through 19. The only thing that bothered me is some black haired curly woman came along and stole them from me. Man, I told my wife, man, that is something else. You raise a child, you have a good time, and pretty soon some old girl comes by, and their heart goes to that girl, and they leave you like you never existed. I did the same for my mom and dad. My dad used to call me and say, he used to say on the phone, sometime he'd call me and say, where's my boys? My God, where's my boys? We left him, all three boys, we left him for women. <laughs> and we did. And we didn't look back either. I suppose it was it was uh, just that that would happen to me. Uh, same thing. But who could have guessed in Hagar's life that this casting out into the wilderness with his 14-year-old child named Ishmael would be something God is for? Who in the world would ever guess that? Nobody. You could make a story. I could give this to 5,000 people and not let them know what the outcome is, and they would never have guessed the outcome of Hagar and Ishmael. I mean, the chances of her surviving with a 14-year-old child by herself was somewhere around being struck by lightning twice. I mean, this just wasn't going to happen. We need to stop judging God by your or others' life circumstances because our vision is just too short. In verse 13 of chapter 21, 
I will make him a great nation, it says there, because he is thy seed. I'm going to make a nation out of this boy because he's your seed. Think of that. That was for Abraham. He says, think of the agony of never seeing his son again. Abraham loved, loved Ishmael. Loved him. Never going to see him again. Never going to see him again. Think of the sorrow of heart every time he looked at a teenage boy go by and he thought, well, I wonder what's going on with Ishmael. I wonder how he is. Remember, no internet, no FaceTime, no Facebook, no Twitter, no tweet, no nothing. No communication. Think of the heartache of Ishmael leaving his father and all the security and his friends. Oh, teenagers big on friends, amen? Oh, I hear him say, oh, I don't have any friends. Don't ever come to me and say that because you're going to get this advice. How about you be a friend? You know, I can't cause anybody to like me, but I sure can like people. I can't cause anybody to be my friend, but I sure can be a friend. And whether people like me or not is out of my control. Whether I like them or I'm a friend is in my control. And you know, you ought to do what's in your control. Forget about what you, what's out of your control. Quit worrying about that. And just do what, do what you can. Boy, how could this be good, losing your 14-year-old son? How could this be God's will? How could this be right? Well, it was. We know the story. Lesson number five. Mostly in the hard times and in the harsh times, in the crisis times, God comes. You want to see God? When I mean see Him, I don't talk about visually looking at Him face to face. I mean see His hand of power in your life. I'm talking about seeing His moving through your family. You want to see Him? It's going to be like the three Hebrew boys. It's going to be in the fire where you're going to meet the Son of God. Or, or like Daniel, it's going to be in the lion's den that you're going to experience the angel of God coming and shutting the mouth of the lions. It's not going to be on your sofa eating bonbons. It's not going to be in the lap of luxury or, or down at the beach or having a lot of fun or playing video games that you're going to meet God. You're not going to meet God in those places. You're going to meet God in the crisis times. You're going to meet God in the hard time, the harsh times that come of life. Just like Hagar meant him. Where did Hagar meet God? The two times that God spoke, as far as we know, to Hagar was in the wilderness. Well, she was as low emotionally as you can go. That's where God spoke to her. Where's God going to speak to you and I most of the time? When we're low, as far down as you can go, then you're going to turn around and God will be there and he'll be helping you and encouraging you. God came to this old obscure Egyptian girl, a nothing, a nobody. The world went by that day and never noticed who, who she was and didn't care, but they did later. They did later. Old Christian, bear up under your load. Look up, for Jesus is coming to encourage you. It was a life of blindness that propelled Fanny Crosby to write thousands of songs that have cheered the hearts of millions. It was a life of hardship that propelled William Carey to reach the whole entire nation of India. It was a life of disappointment 
the loss of his wife and two children that propelled Adoniram Judson to reach the people of Burma. God has never failed one of his children that trusts in him. Never has he failed them. He's never failed a child of his that waits patiently for his mercy in it with a good spirit and a good attitude and a thankful heart. The Bible says, in everything give thanks. This is the will of God. What's that mean? It means in everything give thanks. Why do we read that? Like in every good thing give thanks. That's the way we read it. But the verse says, in everything give thanks. That dawned upon me in my own life when God sent uh, migraine headaches by my house for 25 years. And I had to realize this was something God wanted me to have. Merry Christmas. And I started saying, thank you, Jesus. If this makes me a better Christian, I thank you for it. You want to mark it down, take it to the bank, put it in stone. Jesus never fails. Moses said it. Joshua said it. And Hagar lived it. Don't quit on God. Lose the privilege of seeing him who is invisible. And I want to say thank you, Hagar, for crying out to God in your crisis. For your children, the last count I was able to find, number somewhere around 280 million people. That's what God can do through a nobody. God's not hindered and he's not restricted by our weaknesses, our infirmities, or our pain. Trust him. When hard times come, extremities come, for some of you, economic extremity is already there. You may lose your house. You may have to take back your car. You, you, you may not be able to wear the best clothes or you may not be able to eat the best food. But every bite you take, thank God for it, and God will in that extremity come to you and help you. Be of good cheer. Lift up your head. The redemption draweth nigh. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239 947-1285. Thank you and God bless.